Welcome to the Intern Whisperer Live, the show all about the future of work. Reminder listeners, you can call us live on the air. The phone number is 47, I'm sorry, 407-582-2906. You can also chat with us online through Intern Pursuit's Facebook live chat. Coming up on this episode of Intern Pursuit Live, looking for internships? Sign up with Intern Pursuit at www.internpursuit.tech. Our guest tonight is Holly Taylor, partner and founder of Alamone Mailers. So how can you find Intern Pursuit? You can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can find our game at internpursuit.games and find us on Facebook and Twitter. And again, you can listen to us live on Valencia College Radio. You can also watch us live on Facebook. Be sure to follow Intern Pursuit. And you can call us live on the air. The phone number is 407-582-2906. And chat with us online through Intern Pursuit's Facebook live chat. Orlando Devs is a nonprofit organization made up of a community of software developers in Orlando. Whether you love writing code or just getting started, you're welcome to check out Orlando Devs Meetup to connect with software and IT professionals. Their website is www.orlandodevs.com. Thank you, Orlando Dells, for being a patron of the Intern Whisperer. Intern Pursuit News. Students, do you want to work with one of our great employers or with Intern Pursuit? Go to internpursuit.tech to sign up and create your free profile. Employers of all types and sizes are invited to be part of our early adopter beta program and take advantage of our special pricing by December 31st, 2019. Contact us at, at info at for more information. Do you want to play our game? Go to internpursuit.games to check it out. All right. So, Holly, we're back. <laughs> and this is show 100. Hooray! Yay! So this is a special celebration, and when we put this out in our social feed, it's going to say you are the 100th episode of our show. That is so cool. I'm honored. Well, I I am excited that it is you also. It's, it's kind of like winning the lotto. <laughs> so you're an attorney, and you have a business, a, a startup, and you're managing both. How do you do that? Yes. Um, <clears throat> so it's such a good question and one that I ask myself every day. Um, <clears throat> so for a few years now, we're in our third year. Um, I've been just balancing the two. Um, and I have a partner who manages most of the day-to-day -day and communication so that I could be working full-time. Um, I have just recently transitioned to not working full-time. And so now I'm trying to figure out whether I will continue to practice and support small business owners like myself. I think that could be interesting or if my time would be best suited to just grow the business. So how we met, it's a fun story. And I applied to the women in power X, uh, pitch competition in North Carolina. And that's how I got up to North Carolina. And it was pretty, I understand it was pretty prestigious. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but I was told by um, one of the people that runs the, the uh, program, they said that there's hundreds of women that had applied and they only picked 
before. So that made me feel pretty special. I don't know about you. I'm pretty sure you're feeling quite special. I am. Yeah, I actually had no idea it, it was that many applicants. I'm, I'm flattered. Yes, me too. And so then when we got up there and we did our pitch, um, it was one of those things where we had judges. And so you won. And congratulations to you. Three years. Every time we talk about um, startups, so many people go, oh, it's an overnight success. And I was saying this on a previous show. It's not. It takes like mm -hmm. years, mm -hmm. <laughs> years yep. to get there, right? Oh, it does. Um, I, I've read a lot of business books and you always listen to anyone with a business who had insight to share. And that's a really common thing. Nobody, nobody sees the behind the scenes. They just see the wins. But there's always a lot of build. Oh, my God. It's so much work. I think it's the, the hardest thing I've ever, ever done is by being a, in business for myself. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. Um, I don't know if, however, I think the thing that happens for those people who can't not do it, like it sounds like you are, and I definitely am, is that it's the only thing that preoccupies you. So it becomes, um, in a way, easier than going to work for someone else ever could be. Oh, my goodness, yes. So... <laughs> Why did you choose the legal industry first as your first career path? So um, I think, so I, big picture, didn't have enough guidance. Um, I actually didn't know, there was no one in my family who had been to college. We had a nurse, but, um, and then I didn't have, know any women who had actually had a job. So and worked in a career. Um, I had a relative who was a teacher and she had retired many years prior. So I had this like dearth of um, experience and, and people to share with me how to find your path. And so I came to the end of undergraduate and I got a job. I actually was working part-time at a jewelry store and the other part-time at a law firm. And I said, you know, this looks to me like something that could be um, worthwhile. I can do it there. If I can do it, therefore I should do it. And so I really went into it for, um, now looking back, not the best reason. Of course, I also always said, wanted to help people. That was going to be a part of it. It was going to be an indispensable part of it if I pursued it. But, um, by and large, I just thought that it was the next natural step. And, um, and, and yeah, so I, it's an experience that I'm glad I had, and it's definitely provided me a, a lot of doors being opened, but it wasn't so much a clearly thought out thing. I think that anyone who goes to law school really needs to have that be something that they can't imagine their life without practicing law. So what was your undergrad? It was communication studies. That's the ladies across the room from me, and actually one of the gentlemen, too. They're all in this communications thing, so you're, like, talking their language right now. You used the word <laughs> I dearth. I went, oh, that's an unusual word to use. <laughs> it's one of those $50 yeah. words, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, I was impressed. I went, oh, that's a good word to use. So um, that's really interesting, but then when you decided you wanted to start your own business, how did you, how did you get interested in that? What was the story there? So in wanting to, st I'm going to answer your question in two parts. Um, in wanting to start my own business, that's something that's always been there. Um, looking back, it's, 
there are some people who that's just what they're going to do no matter what. Looking back, I, I personally probably would not have even gone to college um, because there was just so much drive and excitement to make things happen. And school does take time. I'm not saying it doesn't have value. I am glad I did it. But, you know, everyone is different. So um, that was always something I was working on. And I did small things uh, to start Alamo Mailers. I was taking a break um, from working, doing pharmaceutical trials. I was a pharmaceutical contract attorney and it wasn't serving me. So I took a minute to reset and I have been a seller on eBay for many, many years since 2003. So I started doing that again. And because social media is so connected, I found this group of people who were also doing that. Um, They call themselves resellers. And I had never known anyone who also did that at, at the level that at, that I did. And so all of a sudden I had this community and, you know, you're sharing all the different experiences you have and tips and tricks with other people. It was really fabulous. And then I noticed that the shipping supplies that we had just weren't meeting the needs of the community. Um, we all needed to ship a lot of things very often and had the idea that we would want to, even though they're secondhand things for the most part, we wanted to deliver a very particular positive end user experience. And so I looked into, you know, can I fill this niche um, and can I serve this population? And it it turned out I could. Hmm. And so you have, um, it started with fashion. I had read an article about how much you uh, really enjoy fashion. We've done a fashion segment, as a matter of fact. We talked about how we need to be aware of the sustainability of fashion and using secondhand and thrift stores um, so we're not putting our garments into you know landfills mm-hmm. and how we can also uh, donate and pass those things on. So you seem to have that same desire to not see those uh, clothing articles go into the, the dumpsters. I, I do. And um, I grew up in a family where shopping secondhand was just what we did. And yeah, it's one of those things that you hate at the time, but then slowly becomes a part of who you are. So um, reusing things and getting things secondhand to first and foremost, it was saving money. And then it, you know, we have all this awareness now about um, the sustainability of, of just our planet and the things we can do and should do if we can. So it all fit together. And I also enjoy the fact that the things that I buy for myself um, are unique and different and high quality. Um, And they're usually from a time, I especially love vintage. So they're usually from a time when things were made in America. And it's, it's kind of like history, learning a little bit of history every time. So how old does something have to be to be considered vintage? Ooh, okay. Um, I believe uh, the experts are going to listen to this. I'm not holding you and... to it, just so you know. <laughs> okay. Um, to be vintage, I believe it is 20 years. Wow. Um, to be antique, it is definitely 100. Um, yeah, but then that. a lot of people are into retro, which is more like, oh, God, I was going to say the 90s, and we are almost at 20 years. So <laughs> anything in, in that. 
nothing in that span of time. So I'm going to ask the ladies here because we've talked about this before in a previous show. Sustainable fashion. This is near and dear to everybody's uh, heart in the room, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Miranda, remember when we were talking about it and you said the reasons why you, uh, why, why you wanted to really include um, shopping at thrift stores and what you would do with your own clothing? Do you remember sharing that? I do. I sell and resell. <laughs> I mean, no, I resell and I shop at resale places mostly. Mm-hmm. I try to because, one, you find the best stuff there, in my opinion. And Same. Yeah. I agree with that fully. And, two, I personally like the decades of ah. the 70s and the 90s. I know they're polar opposites, but I like to look for things that either remind me of that or give me that glimpse. Even though I don't dress like that all the time, it's nice to have some pieces here and there. Mm-hmm. Hey, Sydney, what about you? I feel the same way. I always shop at a reseller. And I typically only shop at the places that are accepting like the new trendy mm-hmm. clothes, like Play-Dohs. Like Play-Dohs yeah. would never accept anything that did not go on a rack in the year of 2019. But I think to switch it up, yeah. I would enjoy going to a Goodwill or Avalon Park, which is in Winter Park, which is about 30 minutes out of Orlando. That way you would see more of those decades yeah. old trends. Mm-hmm. And you'll be able to discover new things. And like Holly said, more things that were made in America. So it will feel like you're yeah. holding a piece of history that may not be happening as much. Like the way fast fashion is, like we discussed on that show as well, mm-hmm. how most things are made out of this country in under not the best environments. So I think if we go back to developing more things in the country, that'll be great. Yeah. So reselling and selling at those shops would be a yeah. good way to support that. And luckily, if you want to find stuff that looks older but not, might not necessarily be older, mm-hmm. fashion recycles trends all the time. All the time. All mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not anything that's new there. Nope. So, um, Holly, back over here about uh, fashion. Um, what are some of the – is there any particular time frame that you really, really like a lot? Hmm. I I was recently working with a friend on this. Um, sorry, she has a lot of things to get rid of, and um, her decades are the '70s. And I I tried to think if there was one that I wanted, and there's not. I love it all. Um, I actually really enjoy, but do not have a lot of the '50s when things were very matchy. Uh, skirts were out. There were hats. There were gloves. Just accessories were at an all-time fun level uh, to me. Um, so that is the kind of thing that I'm drawn to, and, and I would pick up every time if I saw it. Hmm, that's really interesting. So I think that I tend to like the, um, the 70s because it was just very laid back, very casual. Um, you know, the 80s had all of the big shoulder pads and, you know, tons of stuff like like that and it's just not quite as much big poofy hair leg warming leg warmers anyway um i'm gonna stick with the 70s yeah so So, like when you picture a 70s outfit what is that outfit oh bell bottoms they're coming back yeah they are they're back for fall yeah yep they sure are yeah bell bottoms (laughs) and um that there was a lot of crop tops at that time too so that was popular 
Yes. Yep. So anyway, how did your love of fashion and sustainability move over into um, a la mode mailers? Yeah, so I was reselling and I had purchased a, a pack of mailers. Um, these plastic envelopes are typically called poly mailers. Um, someone who doesn't resell would just see a plastic envelope and all of those definitions are fine. So I had ordered a pack for myself and um, I tend to sell things or I aim to sell things in a higher end bracket. And so I wanted my packaging to be efficient because the, um, the postage charges keep going up every year. They're really outrageous and, and attractive. And so I ordered these pink, the best thing I could find, and I think the design will bespeak how thin the market was. Um, the best thing I could find was an almost see-through pink, uh, pink flamingo print. So the bag was pink. It had a different shade of pink flamingos on it. And when I held it up to the light, I could see through it. And I can, I can still picture where I was and what I was doing. And so I just got on to, um, uh, my community, I connected with people on Instagram and just talked about it and said, you know, this doesn't seem acceptable. Is anyone else, does anyone else have a better solution? And they didn't. So, and everyone seemed to want one. Hmm. That's really interesting because I, I didn't think that we were supposed to have mailers that were see-through or even remotely <laughs> that because it's like, you know, people can see what's inside of it, and maybe there's theft. I don't know, but it, it seems like, no, that would not be a good thing. It, However, it's not. One of the things that I remember when you were doing your pitch, you talked about how you were going to use products so that the, the best thing about your product that I loved was that it's reusable and it's, um, it's also biodegradable. And when we were talking today, you had a new technology idea. So why don't you tell our listeners more about all of the how you have included everything that's about sustainability and where you see your product going into the future? Yeah. Um, so the, the mailers we produce today are 100% recyclable. Um, so they're a, the plastic that can be put in any recycling throughout the country and be turned into new materials. Um, on the one hand, since we're talking about sustainability, there is on the one hand how, how much reusing positively impacts the environment. On the other hand, there is packaging and um, transportation that has to get these things from point A to point B. So um, when looking at this, I thought, well, my overall goal, goal is to make the world a better place, uh, real high level um and i want the product to not to not put anything about the environment in a worse position so we made them recyclable um we are actually moving towards um having them be able to break down in some way i don't we're still working on the technology that's what i was talking about earlier it's not quite mature enough to be able to be produced the way we would need it to. Um, but as of right, right now, how it stands, I, we said from the outset, this is gonna be recyclable. We're going to print it on every package. We're gonna make it part of our branding so that everyone who buys it understands that it can be kept out of landfills. Um, we made them double use. So they are, they're extra durable and they also can be used two times 
with a pull strip. So we're adding features that no one else, we added features that no one else has. And in the interim, while we're working towards something that could be broken down, um, and of course this will continue, uh, we partner with wildlife rescues. So we just are working on giving back at every point because this product needs, I'm probably just repeating myself now, but to make things better in every way that it can. I agree. I totally agree. I saw something on Facebook. It was uh, probably last year where they, um, in India, I believe it was, they had made forks and spoons that were made out of an edible material. So instead of going into a landfill after you eat your food, you could eat the fork and the spoon because (laughs) it's, yeah, it's made out of like some type of a root based uh, product. And I could see that what if we did that with all of the stuff that we have? Because I've seen bags being made out of like uh, seaweed, which, you know, that's part of what we eat in sushi. So there's this um, movement, I think, to make things not only do they break down easier, but perhaps it could be something that is a consumable that, you know, we're actually ingesting. That would be really fantastic. Um, I can see all, all things being possible right now. I've started to see packaging like you're talking about um, in the grocery stores, like the little bags that you put produce in. I've seen those uh, be biodegradable. And we use so much food packaging. So, yeah, I mean, imagine the food packaging also being at the level that you can consume it or it can break down. That has to be safer touching your food. I'm excited to see where it will go. Mm -hmm. So we're always talking about the future. What does the future look like 10 to 20 years from now? And I know that we've been touching on that because I've seen a lot of uh, people getting away from, um, you know, plastic wrapped foods. They're having them open in, in the bins so that people can just pick them up. Of course, you know, we've seen reusable bags coming into the stores. But 10, 20 years out from now, I think that's really what we're going to see that's different. I don't see mailers going away because even though we do so much that's online in the digital world, I feel like the ability to uh, get something, a package in the mail, uh, and I don't even think the mail, whether it's delivered by drone or whatever, getting a package is still so much more meaningful, and there's a lot of personalized shopping that happens online. So um, I feel like it's just going to continue to go 10 to 20 years out. What do you think? I think it is. I think that people have, we're already seeing this mass exodus moving away from brick and mortar stores and stores closing, et cetera. Um, Some are doing well, actually. Uh, If you look at articles that talk about stores closing. They don't point out that some are growing, but not nearly at the rate they were. And I think that people are experiencing a lot more convenience in shopping from their home. And once you you give a mouse a cookie, (laughs) I mean, you know, once the people have the convenience, they're not going to want less. They're just going to want more. Mm -hmm. So right now, since a specific niche is, um, you know, selling to sellers online, I think they're just going to continue to need this even more and more. I think the growth potential is exponential. And um, what we're moving to in 2020 is producing all types of packaging. So we're looking to serve especially local food producers or anyone who makes is a local maker and makes a product um, to produce their packaging for them, too. Mm hmm. I remember my grandmother, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if anybody here in the room has grandparents this age, 
But my grandparents would have food delivered to them, like the milkman mm-hmm. would deliver the milk. And there was, there was some food delivery um, that w- you could get a freezer and they would deliver all of your frozen food to you. You would check it well, off. So, well, was it Schwann's? Yes. My aunt used to have yes. them come. <laughs> yes. I don't know if yeah. they're still around or not. But it seems like that type of service has become, uh, it's in vogue again. It's very popular. People like having the things delivered to them um, and the convenience of not having to go out to do some tasks that they may find mundane. However, I, I feel like there's a, everything, like we were talking about fashion, the, the ability to have things delivered to us at home, that's like the trend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I actually, even as much as I shop online for my fashion, I really resisted um, Amazon and instant buying of things that I'd normally go to a store for. But now I've even switched over. I mean, it's a really difficult thing to resist. Mm. Yeah. Now we did our show, it was on, um, shopping at Goodwill. And so that's an episode a little while back where the interns, um, three females, three males, they each picked a, uh, just so you know, a contemporary, uh, work outfit and then something, you know, like business casual, and then there was a more um, conventional type of uh, attire that they were, you know, given the challenge to to find, and they had to shop for under twenty dollars and under forty dollars. That's always tricky. You guys, that's so fun. That's right up my alley. No, oh, I thought you'd like that. Yep. Well, we're going to take a little break here to have another patron announcement. Starter Studio is a pioneering hub for innovative and tech-enabled entrepreneurs that empowers and provides resources for entrepreneurs, creatives, and innovators to begin, grow, and flourish in Central Florida. They offer open community educational programs, accelerators, funding, and collaborative workspaces. Starter Studio fosters a community serving as a platform for the ideas of the future. Their website is starterstudio.org. Thank you, Starter Studio, for being a patron of the Intern Whisperer Live. So, Holly, our show is about internships and remembering that somebody gave us a chance. And what do jobs look like in the future? If we're looking again 10, 20 years out, like what we were talking about with the um, mailing industry, and we can certainly address, like, attorneys, I think, I think there's a lot of attorneys out there. Um, how did you get your first chance in the workplace? And did you ever do an internship? And what was it like? I'm throwing three questions at you. Yeah, so I've, I've struggled to remember. I feel like my work history is so long now. Um, I started working full-time in 10th grade, and that was just a regular a regular job waitressing. So it wasn't an intern availability. Um, and I'm sure I have, um, I, part of the time that I worked in the law firm was internship ish. Um, but some things that are very different now in term wise that were different than whenever I was doing it, people expected you to be working for free. And I think that with the, the laws changing and the way the world has just switched around that, um, a lot more interns expect to have some compensation. Is that something you find? 
Uh, actually, no. My research and doing customer discovery has been 70% of the internships in the U.S. are unpaid. But what the students really, really want is, like, give me real skills that, you know, help me to get a job quick. And they, when I mean quick, it's like, don't ask me to go and pick up your coffee or, or just to, you know, do data entry and things like that where it's just not of real value or it's not tied to what they went to school for. Um, if it's real skills, you know, they're, they're willing to um, take something that's unpaid. There are also, you know, a lot of small employers, small to medium-sized employers don't offer that. It's usually the enterprise-sized companies that offer large to enterprise. So um, it's different. Law firms, marketing companies, and uh, fashion industry are notoriously, um, they have been abusive in the past, but, you mm -hmm. know, the tides are changing, just like what you're saying. Yeah, and so I guess I'm not super surprised to hear that 70%, I can only imagine how much research you've done in this, but um, are still unpaid. But there are employment laws that can be different from place to place. But um, I think that interns will probably be continue to move to being paid. And the thing you were talking about is the main issue. Um, a lot of times people get an intern and they just want them to run errands, but the person is giving their time. And I think it's really important for the interns, and I'm sure you guys emphasize this, to understand that their time is valuable and to make sure people value it um, because they're investing in the opportunity to learn how to really do something. You're uh, right. You're absolutely right. And the key word there is investment. It is an investment. It's an investment of the employer. They have a responsibility to, to do right by that person, but it's also an investment by the student. And if they have some flexibility with hours and adjust with their schedules, because many of them go to school and, you know, they can't necessarily quit their job for a summer internship, um, but it is flexible, you know, they'll, they'll take that opportunity. So it's really changing what that face of work looks like and uh, for students that are seeking that first level job experience opportunity. And then it's also changing the face of what it looks like to be a, a responsible employer and, and realize that it is an investment. And people, everybody's been an intern just at some point. You had a first, first time job, you've um, either interned with somebody or you know people that have been interns. And whether it's technically by that name or volunteering, we've all had that type of experience, I think the majority. Yeah, and I think it can be hard for interns not knowing what to ask for um, because when they're trying to learn something, they can't possibly know the skills that they need to move into the next job. So, you know, learning how to self-advocate for yourself, whatever that looks like, um, so that you can really capitalize on the opportunity is really important. Um, I think people have a lot more guidance now, at, you know, with the internet and connectivity on how to be assertive and how to have those conversations than they have in the past. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I know that you wanted to talk about podcasts. I'm going to switch our conversation over here. Everybody in this room has become uh, pretty adept at uh, podcasting now in some capacity, whether they're on the filming side of it, creating snippets that help promote the podcast, do the live radio show. As you've experienced, live will have issues. Stuff happens, and then you mm -hmm. have to stay really calm and be able to go, okay, we've got to get this back up. How are we going to make this magic happen? 
I think Sydney can speak to that one too. So I'm going to let them talk about what it's been like to be um, helping to run a show. So Sydney, why don't you share a little story here so that you know Holly will know what it's like. Okay. Well, I think the the most fun part about podcasting is gathering your story beforehand. That's really fun. And like you said, you really have to be able to work with all the oops and all the yeah. things you weren't expecting and just know that you can always start over and it's fine. Yeah. So I think the, the data collection is fun. And when you get into the room, like, I don't know if you want to have your podcast with a friend or do one by yourself, but either way, when you get, the chance to actually record and share what you found, that's very fulfilling. And then your co-hosts or the people, the guests on your show can share their input on what you already found. So that makes for a really good informative show that's also entertaining for your guests. And something we experienced tonight was having the feedback from our earlier guests, family and friends, and that made it a super interactive experience. Oh my gosh. Uh, I just checked the numbers. There were 276 mm. views of that show. Wow. Because what they did is they went and um, they set it up as a, uh, just so you know, Holly, a watch party. And so that's like as soon as the show Right, and that's on, on Facebook Live. Yeah, it that. makes Facebook Live, and then it goes out into your own circle. And then they started mm -hmm. sharing it throughout their circles. So it was the ripple effect for sure. And that is 276 or 275 more people than what we had before. Well, that is so exciting. And, um, you know, thank you for sharing some of the behind the scenes. I am, it's worth saying that the reason I was interested in podcasts is because I'm obsessed with podcasts. I listen to them from the time I get up until, well, okay, anytime there's not silence, it's podcasts in my oh. life. Gotcha. So Miranda, what have you learned about podcasting? I know that was something you were interested in. I just... Honestly, I like learning and hearing what other people have to say about different things and even the same things. Like, I know we usually ask the same questions about internships and stuff like that. And it's fun to hear of other people's experiences mm -hmm. and what other people have to say. And I agree with Sydney. Her and I did some research before a show and it was a lot of fun to do. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. those two things I think are my top two. So we have some wild card shows um, because that's where once a month we'll look at the future of an industry and jobs in that industry. Um, we'll also look at things that have social causes behind them, such as um, in November and December we're going to talk about the gift of giving and the gift of gratitude. So it's a really a great place where you can do research get some interesting statistics and facts to share with others, pull in some stories. Some of my favorite podcasts are the ones that are on NPR where they tell very, very, um, I want to say compelling, engaging stories that just are, are like I listen to TEDx or TED Talks on podcasts. Mm -hmm. And then I'll also like to listen to NPR. And one of them is Latino USA. I'm not, but you know what? I love those stories that they weave. And then um, uh, Masters of Scale. I really like that one quite a bit because those are entrepreneurial stories. And boy, do they help keep me um, focused because this is, this is hard. So it's a varied mix of what I listen to, pretty much like what you're saying that you do, Holly. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing all those things. Um, 
I something you said makes me think that uh, the appeal of podcasting is this art of storytelling mm-hmm. that's coming back that the com majors know all about, but um, yes. has not been something that's the for at the forefront of society for a long time, and it's so engaging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you want to do one that's a story, uh, where it's the story. You need to have some, like an audio engineer that can help you put sounds and noises and things that would be part of that story. And we've done a show about the future of um, commuting and mass transit. So we went out to the street and we took, uh, we did interviews of people. And then we were weaving those through what it is that we were were telling. We did that at Goodwill also, where we talked about Goodwill and um, just their history but also what uh, they do there and how it is supporting that sustainable fashion. Um, so there's this place of you can have whatever you want your show to be, but since you're into recycling and sustainability, that seems like a, a real easy transition for you. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've thought about it. I've, um, I've whiteboarded some different ideas. I'm not going to commit to one right now because I'm still thinking, but that is something that falls into that realm where it's something I would never get tired of talking about. And I could just have conversations and interviews with people uh, on it and not get bored. Um, So really I'm looking for that, that perfect fit where it'll hold my interest and I can do it consistently and, you know, build a network. So this is 100 shows and that means we've been doing this for two years, just so you know. And when you think yeah. through wanting to do a podcast, we've been showing up every week. On, our sh- last year, it was on Wednesdays. This year, we moved to Tuesdays, uh, about a m- couple months ago. Um, so you have to think through some of those things because it is a commitment. Are you wanting to do it because you have like a big message to share or are you wanting to do it as a hobby? And it becomes either a business or it's going to become a hobby and it may not stick around for long. So that's one of the, I guess that's a piece of advice I would pass on to you because it's sometimes easier. Like when you're trying to figure out a career path, you go and volunteer in it. So you might want to go and uh, do some shows with somebody else and understand what the commitment is. Uh, there is some equipment costs if you're going to go that route and do it from your home. Or if you, like, we come into Valencia College here, and so we get to use their studio. They have all of the equipment costs, the room costs, and everything that we uh, don't have to incur. But, you know, there's some limitations. They shut down in December, so we can't do any shows in December. That means we're going to be playing the best of and I've asked everybody to pick a show that they want to see and then those are the shows that get replayed in our social feeds so there's um it's definitely a commitment and you have to decide if you're going to treat it like a business or a hobby yeah um I think podcasting is such a interesting and potentially lucrative new growing field that I would want to do anything that I undertook as a business, but then of course, you know, there are all the different things about how to, how to monetize it and connect with your, your, um, what am I trying to say? Audience to Mm -hmm. consider. So it's just a lot to think about. Um, I actually met up with a few other people who have podcasts at Empower X and 
plan to get with them as well. So like, this has just been an amazing learning opportunity for me. Honestly, this has been, I'm sure more for me than it is for you. So like, thank you. It's constant learning because if you're doing, you're very welcome. But when you do it as a show, you've got to remember, you've got to get your guests booked out. So I try to book out like a quarter in advance. So I'm, I've got my guests there and we, as Sydney and Miranda had said, we have to prepare the show notes and do the research on it. If you're doing a special episode, there's a lot more planning so that you can weave those things together. Having people that know how to do video and audio is really helpful because it, it, it's a production. It's not a simple thing. You know, it can be. It absolutely can be. But it depends on, you know, where you want to take it. Gotcha. Well, thank you for all that guidance. I'll probably have more questions for you in the future. Oh, well, maybe I'll be on your podcast then. <laughs> I hope so. We'll see. So um, who are some great leaders and mentors, whether they're personal or people that, you know, you've read about that um, have influenced or that you've admired and helped shape your life? So my answer for this is always Dolly Parton. Really? Uh, it is, it, it, yes. It is an unconventional answer, I understand. Um, but I, I grew up in a very country-western part of the country, and um, she was a woman that I saw and knew had built something out of nothing. She is so incredibly talented, which I don't think most people know. She plays somewhere between 13 and 20 instruments, um, mm-hmm. as if it were her second language. And she built everything that she has up from nothing in a time when she had to pretend like she wasn't smart enough to do that. So I I actually just get chills thinking about her. She's always been um, someone I really looked up to. I'm actually sitting beside a sign in my office that says, what would Dolly do? Mm-hmm. That's cute. You know, she is. She's a very genuine person. She... Um, truly feels like she's just this big ball of love um, is how she always comes across. Um, I, I, I agree. She is very inspiring. Yeah, those are some good points, too. She just seems through it all to be such a good person. Yeah, yeah, very genuine. So uh, tell us, um, because we're coming to the end of our show, tell us how people can find your business, what is your website, your social feeds, share your email if you want, or your phone number, all of that good stuff. How do people find okay. a la mode mailers? Well, um, our, main, our main sales channel right now is Amazon.com. So you can find us on there at any time. It's just a a uh, space L A M O D E mailers, just Alamode, like the ice cream. Um, part of our branding is to give each design a flavor name and we create kind of like an ice cream vignette to go with it. Um, we are also at Alamode mailers.com. Um, if anyone would like to email, you could email info at Alamode mailers.com. My personal Instagram is different. It's thrift love, G and that's where I share everything that I'm doing and it's usually thrift or eco-friendly related and a little bit of my dog. Um, so those are the places where I am and I'm on one of them pretty much all the time. You know, one of the best things I think about, uh, you going shopping in a, any resale 
opportunities is it's just smart shopping because you can get mm -hmm. new things there. You can get vintage things there. You can get things that are great for costumes. It's like, it's everything. It's and it's so yeah. affordable. That's just smart shopping. There's, anyway. It's just limitless. And actually, I have this, this might sound a little crunchy granola, but every time I need something, if I if I have thought about it recently, it seems like I walk into a thrift store and it's there for me. Mm, so yeah. something about putting that into the universe almost always results in it coming through for me. And that's mm. kind of fun. Yep. It's like Chip and Joanna Gaines. Yes. I love them. They always are into like, let's recycle stuff. Yeah. So that's super good. We are here at the tail end, and so I'm going to give a shout-out to Valencia College. Thank you for letting us be on your campus here at the East Campus. We love you, Q, our station manager. We love all of the people here that help us, and we get to be in this really great studio. So I truly appreciate that. We're going to do some shout-outs here, so I'm going to go opposite order. So Miranda. Friends and family, hello, I love you, and everyone who's been watching tonight and all of our guests. Very nice. Sydney. My shout out is to women in business like Holly who are having fun. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Holly, you're up. Yeah. My shout out would be to my partner who helps keep this all afloat with me and to every reseller out there who's doing it for whatever reason. Um, our hashtag that we like to use is what's in it for you. Um, so whatever you're doing, enjoying the things that it gives you in your life, the freedom, the money, all of those things. Very nice. My shout out goes to, um, I usually do the same kind of thing as Sydney. It's everybody that's on my team. It's everybody that listens to us. It's all of the people that have supported us. But man, I could never do this alone. Uh, and I'm very grateful and thankful for the people that are with me in this, this journey at this point in time and past in the future. So you can contact us at info at internpursuit.tech. You'll find our website, uh, internpursuit.tech. It has phone number and other contact information there. You can watch us on Facebook Live and be sure to follow Intern Pursuit. You'll get a notification when the show goes live. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and uh, LinkedIn. Yeah, there you go. So as we close the show, we want to thank you, our listeners, and we appreciate you. So big kiss to everybody out there. Thanks a lot, Holly. It's been great. Yeah, it really has. Thank you, guys. <laughs>